Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast. Your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Graham. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast. We are back again. It is 1-800-PEACH-AND-BLACK tonight. (laughs) Seated around this virtual round table, the gang are here to whisper some Australian slash English words into your ear from left to right. Player. In the back of my Subaru. <laughs> Kojin. Oh, yeah. Teaching babies replication of the act. <laughs> <laughs> and Captain. You ain't funky. <laughs> what? Live from Captain's uh, Ford sedan. It's Rob S as well in the place to be rounding out the Peach and Black podcast panel. MC. We are gathered here today, of course, to discuss another, well, it's not a Prince album, but he's... Got his hands all over it. Uh, This is called 1-800-NEW-FUNK. I think he had his hands in a few of these artists, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get straight into this. The album, as I said, 1-800-NEW-FUNK, released on NPG Records in August of 1994. Many, many, many years ago now. And uh, 11 pieces of music, I'll put it that way, on this album. Let's... uh, Well, first we can argue about what we're going to call this. Okay, let's do that. Is it called 1-800-NEW-FUNK? Is it called a Prince album? Oh, I don't know. It's not a Prince album. Okay, so let's before we go into our our world-famous track-by-track, let's get some uh, friendly banter and typical Peach and Black goodness going. What was going on at the time? What is this album? It's a compilation. It's a compilation of NPG record artists. Simple. I reckon we should call it Prince's 1-800-NEW-FUNK. Yeah. Simple. He produced the album. Clickbait. Almost every track is his track anyway. You're right, but it's not presented that way. There's a very easy way to do that because he produced it, right? He released it. But like when he released it, he's not on the cover. There's no, no, it's not even like a sticker on the front with like the symbol saying like, you Uh, know, featuring Prince or whatever. Like he consciously made this to distance himself kind of from it. But the idea of it was, you know, Warner Brothers dissolved his Paisley Park label. Yeah. Yeah. And then he wanted to launch MPG Records. And this is like a sampler set of like the artists on this label. He's launching MPG Records, but he's trying to kind of, in a way, distance himself from it. Mm. And so on a technicality, this isn't Prince's 1-800-NEW-FUNK on so many levels. One is, well, one, he changed his name. So he's the symbol that's been like really pedantic, but there's that yeah. level of it. There's the level of like, he's trying to showcase his artists. So he's kind of, mm. even though he's got his hand in every song in some way and every artist, 
he's taking a back seat and he's just trying to push He's got his hand in every artist. More than a couple of them. He may have had something to do with it. Anyway. So, yeah, it's, I mean, that's what this project is. So, it kind of like to label it as Prince's 1 800 New Funk, it's a, it's a little bit, yes, it is true, but it's kind of like not the intention. Well, your point, the point that you just made, player, is not only a good one, but it's super accurate, I think, because I think if anyone had asked Prince privately or even publicly, you know, what, how he thought of this, undoubtedly he would have wanted to give credit to the people that are on here. Because there's not a single song on here that has a, a lead Prince vocal. So clearly everything you just said, I mean, not only is it true, but it's with intent Prince has, has made this happen. Again, don't want to repeat everything you said, but it's like the NPG Records roster, basically, right? It's a sampler yes. of everyone on his label. So, yes, yeah, you're, you're right. This is not a Prince album, even though all Prince fans know that he was intimately involved in every aspect of it, pretty much. So yeah, It's well, really interesting I, when you think about it. You know, in the old days, you used to get those, like, sampler sets from, like, a record label, and it'd be like, you know, here's the Warner Brothers, you know, 1976 sampler album from all the yeah. artists on, on Warner Brothers. <laughs> and here's the, you know, the Arista one or whatever. So it's like a kind of a lost art form, that kind of idea. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But when I when I think of this album, I think this as a as a as a way as a fuck you to Warner Brothers because, like I said, they dissolved Paisley Park Records, and this is like, well, I'm going to release a album showcasing what it is, and I'm going to make you know it, it like a success without your help, kind of thing. And so you know the go. genius behind, well, if you want to call it genius, the genius behind it, I would say, is the name of the album is the phone number you call to order NPG Records. Yeah. <laughs> And the website. <laughs> this is pre-internet. Dot in com. Of, yeah, yeah, the explosion yeah. of the internet. So, but player, your your point around, uh, you know, this was almost like a nephew to Warner Brothers, or maybe it was, like a, it was. Trying to, a slap in the face, right? So the uh, the interesting thing about what you said from a timing point of view is that this has come out after the most beautiful girl has been released and has become a worldwide smash. So he's on cloud nine going, take that. You know what I'm going to do next? I'm just going to release, you know, a roster, one song from every artist or some, you know, some artists get more than one song on this. I think, no, okay, but we'll get to that. Ironically, none of the album artists really did anything though. Mm. I mean, I think Standing at the Altar was a minor hit here. And I think the album... In Australia. Yeah. And I think the album did well in general. And I think that's a lot to do with Prince not being on the cover. Like, I think a lot of people went to a record store, picked it up and gone, oh, this looks cool. Just like with the lettering and the people on it and not knowing it's kind of like a Prince album. So they're just like, oh, well, I'll buy this just to check it out. It's, you know, it sounds funky. <laughs> like, so I think a lot of people have bought it just on a curiosity level and not even realizing it's kind of like a Prince album. So I think there was several layers to it where... The actual artists floundered and didn't really do that well, but this album kind of did do a little bit of, no, like not majorly, but it was it did do a little bit on the. Well, you just mentioned walking people walking into a record store. I've actually got a very, very incredibly tiny short story about this. When I was in the US a few years back, this is while Prince was still alive. I walked into a record shop and I saw this album, the vinyl version, sealed. For four dollars and ninety nine cents US, oh. for four dollars ninety nine cents US, sealed brand new copy. I looked at it. I knew exactly what it was. Obviously, I looked at it, and I just looking back on it now, I don't understand why I did what I did. But I just went. Uh, you didn't buy it, you insane person. Uh, 
I'm still here for another like week or two in New York. I'm probably going to be going through so many record stores. I'll probably find like a, a used copy of this for like a buck somewhere. And you know what? Oh, as, the, as the days as the days kept going, I didn't. Not only did I never see it again, but I, I didn't buy it because I didn't see it again. And I had no idea what record shop it was, so I couldn't even go back there to find. I'm like, <laughs> I could have just like. I spent more in one afternoon on like a few slices of pizza without even thinking. And I didn't uh, buy this on vinyl. And you guys know how much of a vi- record head I am. So it's like. Well, you can't be that much of a record head if you didn't buy it for $4.99. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, you know, you know that I didn't buy this. I didn't buy this because. Even I would have bought uh, that. You know what? I'm going to save it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to save it for the album. I don't even have a record player and I would have bought that. Oh, yeah, I know. I know what's wrong with me. Terrible. Even just as a as a as a completist, I should have done that. But speaking of rarities, in terms of Rob's missed opportunity for the vinyl, there is a, a Japanese CD version of this that actually has a few extra tracks. It has yes. the most beautiful girl remixes. It has uh, Maite's most beautiful boy in the world. That that must be a bit of a collector's item. And that the one. sax mix. I've got mm-hmm. the CD single version of that. Yeah. Okay. I've got. That, oh yeah, yeah. But not attached to this album. You know, you did I tell you guys about that time I was working through Harajuku and there was a record store there? And I, uh, no, <laughs> just it was four, no. four, four yen. It was 400 yen and I didn't buy it. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I spent that on sushi. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know where I saw it, even if I went back. Exactly. All right. So with that covered, let's go into the world famous, infamous, unofficial, <laughs> official what am I talking about? The Peach and Black podcast track by track analysis. Let's go into it. Track number one is called MPLS. You could also say Minneapolis, but again, that's kind of the name of the band. What? I'm so confused. Song number one. Let's go player to open up this one for us. Okay. I don't really have a lot to say about this song. It's bombastic beats. It's got that synth drone bass. It's a lot of up-tempo loops. So musically, there's a, it's very busy, but at the same time, there's nothing going on. Like, it's very hard to describe. There's no sort of melody or anything. But what I will say about this song, it's it kind of, like, I feel like this project is kind of like the precursor to the MPG Exodus in the sense that, you know, it's got this cartoon cover, like the artwork looks similar to the Exodus album. You've got Sunny T on the lead vocals mainly, and you've got Prince, the, the cartoon version, he's like in the cop outfit with the gold chain cop hat, like on My Name is Prince. And I think that was kind of like an early version of Tora Tora. And then you've also got like in the song, like you hear Prince in the background and Sunny goes... You ain't supposed to be on this record. So like, mm-hmm. and that's like Toro Toro as well. It's kind of like a project where Prince is in it, but he's trying to be incognito and all that. And I feel like this was kind of like the genesis of that. And it sort of just kind of fizzled out and he's kind of just sort of rethought it and just gone, okay, I'll just make it an MPG thing. And I'll, I've got this different thing, like a Toro Toro thing. So I think I'll leave it to you guys to who's actually in the band. I mean, they mention it in the track, but you can, you know, there's cutie pie i mean who the hell's cutie pie um <laughs> who do you think yeah so like i mean there's all these people in there and all that but i think it's just like it's just like the early version of the mpg exodus album yeah the song itself like it's 
like I said, it's very busy. I, like, I really like that extreme panning from left to right at the end of the track. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's really good on headphones. But that's the only really interesting thing. I mean, it's it's not a bad song. It's just like there's nothing sort of memorable about it for me. So um, that's that's my review of it. Gee, well, I don't want to start this too much on a on a low note, but I'm going to have to follow up with your uh, comments and basically agree with the majority of what you said. I, I but I'll take it. I will take it one step further because you know us on this show. If there's anything that we are, it's honest. That's about all usually, but hopefully we're mildly entertaining. This is a pretty weak opening for an album. No, that supposedly is. No, no, no. Showing the world the NPG roster. I think this is a skippable track. Let me guess. You, you're going to resequence this album. You know what? I'm not even sure it's worth resequencing. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there. Get out. That's probably a little harsh, but Captain's going to love this. It's very dated, the production. <laughs> but, oh, I wonder why. Because <laughs> it was in the past. It's dated as 1994. No, quite seriously, the production is very trebly to me. And I don't know, it doesn't really go anywhere. The turntable scratches are annoying. The sound effects are annoying. The one redeeming quality of this song is the th- absolutely thick bass sound. You know, the thickness of the bass part. Very thick, yeah. It kind of moves. It rumbles in your chest when you turn it up loud and... And, and it's a good baseline. It's a good solid baseline, but it's so thick, really pleasant to the ear. And that's the one, as I said, redeeming quality. But really, there's a lot better on this album than this. If this song wasn't on here, I wouldn't miss it a bit. It's just skippable and forgettable. Um, Toe Jam. Yeah, I think this isn't a great opener. It's very 94. Straight away, I, I hear you know that big beat sound, that mid-tempo sludgy kind of beat the baseline reminds me of sexy mf the way it sort of bends on that note and it's i i think i wrote it's too basic i find it's just way too basic uh you've got these like shut up bits through it which i didn't really like that much um you've got it's one of these songs where you know prince is talking about how good his band is and how good he is and how he's better than all the young cats coming up and you know he went to school he he listened to james brown and tower of power and bootsy and all of these guys uh, it reminds me also of of the jam from Larry Graham's uh, one of Larry Graham's albums, where you know he introduces the band. So he's like, "Who's in the band?" And then you know, Cutie Pie on vocals and Yana Jade on something else, and other people doing other things. Sunny T gets a reference. Uh, so that's kind of you know, it's an opening. It's supposed to be an opening song for an album, and I think plays onto it in saying that this was potentially the genesis of the Exodus album. And I imagine when they're putting it together, they're like, "This song's not strong enough to go." And so, you know, this is the perfect kind of outlet for it, you know, a compilation album of stuff. But, yeah, it is it is kind of skippable. It's not one of the songs I listen to a lot. One uh, other interesting thing I picked up on today, at the towards the end, it's got the same line from Days of Wild, that, uh, but it starts on a different beat. It starts on beat two yeah. instead of beat one. Yeah, so there right. you go. Yeah, it is um, very Days of Wildy. And it's like there's a ha, 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 and then a hey, hey, hey. Mm. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other interesting discographical things is that this song features a singer called Yana Anderson, who, as far as I'm aware, isn't on any other Prince song doing co-lead vocals. And also, according to Prince Vault, unconfirmed Billy Franz, guitar player, who's in uh, Dr. Mumbo's Combo, I believe. With Margie Cox. Hmm. Yeah, there was a few tracks around this time had Billy Franz on guitar. 
It's interesting. Yeah, so whoever Yana Anderson is, so you imagine, you know, you're in the official Prince discography, Yana Anderson, whoever you are. <laughs> and the other interesting thing is we'll get to is a lot of the tracks on this album, you've got Paul Peterson on bass and Ricky Peterson on keyboards. Hmm. So it's interesting. I mean, we knew Ricky was around 94, 95, but it's interesting that St. Paul was in playing bass as well. That's just a cool thing, I think. On this track? Not on this, but on others on this album. I'll mention it when we get to them. Uh, Captain, round out the review of track number one. Okay. Your thoughts? Let me just, let me first say, you're all wrong. This is a great song. Here we go. I didn't say it was a bad song. Uh, Weak. I heard the word weak in there. This is a good start to the album. It's the funky Minneapolis sound. That's what you want on the start of the album. That's going to say, hey, look at all this MPG Records Minneapolis things. This is a good start for this. I don't think it has any Minneapolis sound. It doesn't have any layered synths. It doesn't have Lindrum. It doesn't have like or what's The song signatures. is called Minneapolis. The band is called <laughs> Minneapolis. And Sunny T is singing. It sounds very just like a generic hip hop based. It sounds like rubbish LA 94. <laughs> well, not rubbish, but it does sound like that. It does sound like an LA 94. Like it doesn't have any hallmarks of a Minneapolis sound to me i don't know like it's but it's prince's version of this is what he was doing in 1994 correct in minneapolis so in that way it is (laughs) correct okay sunny sunny thompson sunny t is great i love sunny so this is always going to be a good song for me the bass i think tojem said the bass the bass is just insane this bass will blow your car apart if you're not (laughs) if you're not ready for it it is crazy and yeah, you already said this would fit perfectly on Exodus. You could just stick this in and no one would even notice. <laughs> I like I like all the little sound effects and stuff, but like musically, there's really nothing happening. It's all gritchy scratchy and sound effects and stuff like that. But to me that means, you know, he actually spent some time producing it and it's not just a rubbish throwaway thing which he did in an hour. He did some work. And when Sunny T says you ain't funky, that is, you know, Sonny needs that on his gravestone one day. <laughs> That's what he needs. That just perfectly <laughs> describes the way I think that he is so funky you and really no one else is. Yourself. Here lies Sonny T. Uh, you ain't funky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome, actually. That's what I want to see. <laughs> I hope it's in a long time from now. But that would be like the perfect thing because every time I hear Sonny in any song, that's what I expect him to say. It just fits anywhere. You can just stick it in any song and it's great. So yeah, there's the steals on this song as well, which I never noticed because the only time I hear them is when they say, where the S-T-E-E-L-E-S. It's the only time that I really hear them. And I never knew what they were saying because I never listened to them that closely. I was just listening to Sonny the whole time. So... So yeah, now I know it's them. But this is a good song. Good start to the album. Good start to blow your head off, blow the doors off your car. Done. Okay. Wow. Three versus one. Interesting uh, (laughs) opening to this compilation album. Let's go into track number two. It's Hollywood. We spoke about LA earlier. Well... This is Hollywood we're talking about, and it's by George Clinton. Let's go with, uh, hmm, let's go with Player again. 
Yeah, this is a great track. I haven't heard this in a long time and I kind of forgot how good it was or how good it is. It's very kind of new jack for George. It's kind of slickly produced and yeah, it's it's like a more cohesive song. Like when I think of George Clinton songs, they're kind of like long extended jams and stuff, but this is kind of like a four minute. It's concise. Yeah, yeah, it's more concise. I love the descending chorus vocal, the living in Hollywood. Like that's really cool and. The, you know, if Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, if Holly could, and all that. There's some really cool moments in here. I don't know what Prince's involvement is in this song. I, I th- always thought that on that album there was the big pump. Yeah, yeah. This is the only track, I think, on this album that Prince has nothing to do with. Yeah, I think they just pulled this song off the Hey Man, Smell My Finger album and put it in here. But, yeah, I don't think there's any Prince involvement. So, Well, I mean, the involvement um, is basically that it, is recorded at Paisley Park, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that uh, most of that album was recorded at Paisley Park, I believe, from memory. I don't. Well, it was on Paisley Park Records. Yeah, okay. I'd always taken that to mean it was recorded at Paisley Park. But it's um yeah, like when I think of this song, it's very kind of new jack. It's kind of like it's like at that time like a fresher sound for George instead of that kind of 70s early 80s funk that he was kind of known for. Like he was going a bit with a bit of a renaissance around that time with um, Ice Cube and with One Nation Under Groove and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, he was, you know, and he did uh, The Erotic City, of course, and, and all that. So around this time, he was, you know, he's sort of making a, a sort of a bit of a comeback. So it's good. I like this song. All right, all right. I'm going to hand it over to Toe Jam now. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, I think it's a, an okay song. I, I haven't got much on it. I just wrote um, Prince Involvement question mark, and I was just curious to hear what you guys had any thoughts on. I can't hear any Prince in there specifically. I thought maybe the guitar solo at the end, but I reckon, nah. Like I heard a few princely things, but I thought it's not enough for me to say that's a Prince solo. Um, I like the chorus. I like the way it's sort of got that stepping, you know, I'm stepping on the east side and that, you know, George is um, doing his classic <laughs> changing the speeds of the vocals and this sort of thing. And I think it's the best song on the Hey Man, Smell My Finger album from memory. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's good to have it on here. I mean, Prince and George Clinton were obviously good friends and they obviously did several things over the years. You know, Prince would pee on his albums and George Clinton would pee on Prince's albums. And so it was always a good, like, collaboration. Yeah, we can talk about other songs like... Um, Paradigm, you know, he's on the Rave DVD. Like, there's a lot of like little Prince and George Clinton stuff that they're doing together. So it's kind of cool. So it's appropriate to have this song on this album, even if there's no official Prince involvement. But yeah, I'd always assumed that it was that album was recorded at Paisley Park. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But how can we forget, uh, Toe Jam, you mentioned, you know, George Clinton's involvement, the ping on one side and then on the other. How can we not forget George's infamous contribution to one of Prince's 2002 after shows? How y'all doing? Yeah. craziness and that's the thing that brings me to my very very quick thoughts on this song which are i think the music itself is pretty forgettable but like i can't remember it right now at all but it's kind of half funky it's kind of half freaky it's not really the funk that George is known for. And I, I wonder how much of that is because it's more of that sound that player was talking about, the new Jack swing era, even though, I mean, this was kind of almost the mid nineties by this stage. So, but it was very much hip hop oriented and the fuzzy guitar solo is cool. But the only thing that makes this decent for me, and that's, that's as, as much praise as I can give it is to say it's decent is George and his uh, like he's, he's always got that raspy, like, 
hires a mofo voice and attitude that <laughs> even on a song that is relatively average or decent, just still kind of brings enough of a George vibe. And that's the thing. Like, I know this is not the Bob Dylan podcast, but I'm a massive Dylan fan. And on his later albums, he sounds very like George Clinton. He's like raspy. There's so much life and bloody cigarette and cigar inflected vocals on. It doesn't help him sing any better though, does it? No, it doesn't. But I love hearing it though. I wouldn't <laughs> even classify Dylan as necessarily a, a good He's singer by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but if you like his music, like I do, especially as he's gotten older, just like George, I think George in the 90s, 2000s, and you know, I've never been at a, an actual parliament show. Shock horror. But, um, oh. or a funkadelic show. But I've seen footage and it's always George coming with a growl, with the funky growl. And that's what saves this, if you want to call it that. I was just going to say on the not having seen him, I haven't seen him either. And uh, I know the Blues Fest are advertising next year's that, you know, Parliament Funkadelic uh, playing. Final, yeah. And yeah. it's supposedly, it's labeled as final shows. So, yeah. 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 George is retiring, but the band will continue. One more time. The hits for the last time. But but the, the other thing I should say about this, because it's in my notes, the chants are annoying. There was some chanting in the first track. There's more chanting here. And that, I can't stand that stuff. Like those choiry, ridiculous vocals. Get out. I don't like them, but I'm going to hand it over to Captain, who might have something to say about it. Again, this is a good, (laughs) good, good song. Let me guess. We're all wrong. This is almost a great song. But I agree with what you said, that it's not your typical George Clinton funk. It's... It's far from it. This is a much more concise, condensed, controlled pop. The three C's. It's a it's a pop track. It's full of hooks. There's so many different hooks in this track. It's not your you know he's not going to jam this out for 25 minutes. It's not that. Not. Probably get about eight minutes, maybe ten minutes out of it. But it's such a catchy song. Like different hooks from this will just pop into my head like weeks and months after I've heard it, just out of nowhere. Like the thing that MC just did, that bloody choir thing. I wouldn't have heard this song for six months and then that'll just, I'll wake up in the morning and that's what's in my head one morning. <laughs> oh, you are a very unique individual. I'll tell you that. Living in Bundaberg. Living in Bundaberg. Exactly. I'm Catchy podcasting song. in my car and I'm in Bundaberg. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was blasting <laughs> this whole album the other day. It's a, it's a good album, but it's a very overlooked George Clinton album because it's not your typical George Clinton album. And this is not your typical George Clinton song. But just as a song, even if George Clinton's not on it, this is a very hooky, catchy pop song. So it's good. The end. All right, all right, all right. Let's go to track number three. It's all about love, this one. Show us your love sign. (laughs) And I'm going to hand this over to Toe Jam to open it up for us. I think this is probably the best song on the album. I mean, this was the single. This is the one where Prince is most heavily involved. Obviously, he's kind of singing co-lead vocals with Nona Gay. It's got that high-pitch air synth kind of sound, like being on a plane. It's got the classic mid-90s dog whistle thing that Prince loved in this time. 
Yeah. Uh, it's got the echo snare on beat four every second or fourth bar, which is a very princely thing. Uh, it's got the gun pop snares every now and then, which is really cool. It's got some funky clav, some really cool clav going on in this one. And the bass is slapping and popping really hard on this one. And I think yeah. even in the video, you have um, Prince playing that one-eyed bass in the studio, and it's really cool. But you've got all this funky stuff going on, but then the, the vocals are kind of lackadaisical. The chorus, you know, they're kind of just descending down, and it's kind of a, a bit of a downer, the, the chorus, in terms, of, in terms of the melody of the vocal. It's not really that interesting. He's obviously talking about, you know, gun control and the problems with guns in America, which is still a problem. And um, I like Prince's response to it. It's like, you know, throw the love sign out. It's kind of like it's as hippie as you can get, but it's wrapped in a funk ball, so it's good. There's a funky key solo. Uh, it sort of has like an Asian kind of sound, like a pentatonic kind of thing, kind of cool. <laughs> Prince's O's and O's at the end are very um, – he's very passionate, I think, in this one. Uh, you've got some samples from the Poet 99 um, recordings that he was doing, which which just turn up all over in – mid 90s recordings they're just everywhere you find these little samples from the poet rapper she's saying something like true signs of the times you know i like the bit at the end where nona's going sure was the love sign the love sign like it's kind of playing around at the time that's kind of cool but yeah like this is just a really classic mid 90s prince hit and this was sort of a i don't know if you call it a massive hit no way but it wasn't a bad song it, it got some play i believe and like I said, I think underneath all the bravado and the hardcore funk and the women and the money and the cars and, you know, Prince's celebrity, I think underneath it all, he's a bit of a hippie. And I like that response, you know, this gun problem. We're just going to throw the love sign out, y'all. You know, like it's cheesy, but it's it's a good message. And, um, you know, I mean, he's he's out there in that, in that time in the 90s in America, you know, promoting gun control, you know, bring your guns in, smelt them down, which is in the video. And I think that was, that was a good message to put out there and still relevant today, unfortunately. All right, all right, all right. Um, Captain. Ooh. Around this time, Prince was really hippie. Like, look at the video clip for Race. Yeah. Just look at that as the perfect example. That's what he was into around then. Which is but- which is weird because if you think of the 1999 album and all the critics loving you in New York and, you know, mm. all you hippies and, like, he yeah. kind of, like, in that early 80s era... He was bagging the hippies. Yeah, yeah. He bagged them out kind of thing. And then he he evolved. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I do believe lots of these things. <laughs> well, I think also... In the 90s, like, you know, he's in his mid-30s now, and I think perhaps he's, you know, in your 20s, you kind of, you know, your teens and 20s, you're kind of trying to not rebel. Rebellious. But sort of, yeah. you're, trying to, yeah. you're trying to engrave your own stamp on things. By the time you get to your 30s and 40s, you sort of start to be more reflective of where you've come from and that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's get, getting a bit deep. But. but also after Most Beautiful Girl in the World was a big hit, from that point on, he slowly became this underground artist, like, and 95, 96, unless you were following him, you didn't have a clue he was even still alive. So anyway, this is what I've got to say about the song. This is one of the very few official duets that Prince has released in his career. There's only been a few. There's only a few. And I remember when this came out, it was so cool. The video clip was cool. And I stayed up till like four o'clock in the morning to watch him on the NBC Today, Today Show. Show and... Mm-hmm. You know, wearing his red dress and the gold symbol <laughs> guitar. Smock, that was just too cool. Smock. Smock. A moo-moo. <laughs> <laughs> but the little guitar solos that he did near the end of that were so good. And the outro of that live version were just killer. After he said Minneapolis in the house, 
Michael B gets on the right cymbal and they just smashed it. You had Morris Hayes just playing that one note on the keyboard as happens in Minneapolis funky stuff. So like this was supposed to get a commercial single release. Warner's said, oh no, you can't do that. So he wasn't allowed to release it. There's a promo release. It got sent to radio. The video got played, but no one could buy the single. You had to buy the album. And like the song itself is okay. It's not a great song, but see, and this is one of the songs, Paul Peterson on bass. On Love Sign. Ricky Peterson on keyboards. On Love Sign. Wow. Well, that's what the credits say. That's what the credits Man, say. Man, that sounds like Prince so badly. Credits on Prince tracks aren't always correct. Yeah, Prince was playing the bass in the video, but who knows? But there's like, there's two basses. There's like the bass line, but then there's the popping all over it. I reckon maybe Paul's doing the actual bass of the track and Prince is doing the popping over the top. Could be, could be. We'll have to ask him. Pop, 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 go to pistol. Bang, 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 go to gun. That's pretty catchy. Pretty catchy. <laughs> is. But yeah, I've already put it up on Twitter like a while ago. Go and see the video where he played with Nona Gay uh, on the Today Show. He's wearing a red thing and he's got the gold cymbal guitar and it's great. And the outro will kill you. That's all I've got to say about this song. It's cool. Go find the video. The video's on YouTube. Uh, not from the estate, I might mention, but whatever. Yeah, what happened with that? They were releasing like a steady stream of videos and it's just kind of stopped. Just like Prince, they just lost interest. <laughs> Don't forget the one of the remixes of Love Sign, which was going to be on the single, which Warners didn't let be released, that ended up on Crystal Ball. What about that? Ah, ah. Not a good remix. Anyway, let's see what Player has to say. What are your thoughts on this song? Okay, most of my notes have been taken, but I'll run through it anyway. This is from memory, the first song released as the symbol. Because I remember when... Hang on. was the most beautiful girl in the world the first symbol song? Um, that was in February. This, yeah, you're right. This was in July. Mm, yeah, you're right. I hate it when he does that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I don't know. At the time, I kind of maybe because it was a ballad, I just kind of wrote that off because, like, <laughs> leading up to this release, I was really kind of eager to hear what Love Sign sounded like because I kind of had it in my head when Prince changed his name that he would change his kind of sound as well. And before that, it was the hits B-sides. And before that, it was a symbol album. And, you know, you hear a song on that album like Sexy MF, it's very James Brownie. And I thought when I heard this song, I f- it kind of sounded more George Clinton and Funkadelic. And, and I thought, well, this is kind of, when he's changed his name to the symbol, it's kind of, it's more of that kind of electronic funk than that. Uh, James Brown kind of funk mm. and yeah I've got in my notes here the, those bass pops that are at random intervals playing over the actual bass and that that's really great uh, the high dog whistle which Tojo mentioned that it was popular in R&B and hip-hop at this time the little keyboard solo is really nice it's, it's sort of kind of doubled with guitar and that's really cool the anti-gun message in the song and the video you know they've got those kind of gun buybacks or like you know it's handed over to police and you know you see them putting it in the furnace and burning them down to like liquid metal and oh alchemy reference yeah (laughs) alchemy with the guns gold (laughs) (laughs) well the next album was gold wasn't it yeah oh 
Someone's getting excited. And, you know, like in America, like these sort of topics are very kind of sensitive in the sense that, you know, everyone likes to have their Second Amendment rights and, you know, Prince is kind of going against the grain and, you know, saying that love's more of a bit of an alternative than using guns and stuff. So um, I'm surprised that he didn't get a lot more heat for this, but it's, it's you know, it's a good message. So a great meme. It was like uh, some American posting. Uh, so with 23 school shootings this year, we've finally banned straws. and it's just like that just summarizes so much (laughs) i wonder how if any how many republican prince fans were turned off by this particular song that's an interesting question it's possible because the way that they think is as soon as anyone says anything that they don't like they like you're dead to me i'm never going to listen to anything you ever say again because it disagrees with what i think that's the logic so i wonder any people like that let us know i'm really interested to know if any fans got to this song not at peach and black at captain says <laughs> at captain says <laughs> yeah yeah no that i i'm interested by that let's go anyway continue well he's um, not he's not specifically saying let's ban guns he's uh, you know he's no, trying he's to not. encourage no. people to hand them back so it's it's not he's he's kind of mm. he's doing it in a not softly softly way. yeah yeah what else have I got in my notes here? The uh, show us the love sign refrain at the end from Nona Gay. Again, it's it's Prince ripping off. It's straight Sly and the Family Stones. Thank you for letting me be myself again. He he loves ripping off that song. You know yeah. the you know the the guitar line the dun 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 dun. dun. It's like show us the love sign. Like it's the same thing. Like oh uh, yeah. So, you know, he's it's just taken that guitar lick and just made it into a, you know, lyrical refrain, you know, and he's inserted it in there. Mm-hmm. Like he loves he loves doing that sort of thing, especially with that song. He uses it a lot. And, of course, the captain mentioned the live version. The live version, like it's, it's cool. It's not like just a straight rip of the album version. Like he puts, you know, a bit of flavor into it. So I really like this song. It's very contemporary. It's, I, I like this track. It's a good song. A really good it's a strong song i have to agree with you and with much of what's been said so far because this is a great track it's the best track on the album so far by such a long shot it's not even funny finally a solid track it's got those awesome bass clicks and pops there's little sort of reference to vinyl playing but um you know the bass is popping and it's got a memorable hook positive messages throughout and that fat snare and again the bass rumbling Someone said, what is it, soft? Like it's a softly, softly approach. He's not saying destroy the guns. Mm. He's just saying hand them back. You what, so the government can come and kill me? No way. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's more a kind of a an ideal, not utopian, an idealistic viewpoint that he holds. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, at the same time, I've always thought that Prince's social commentary songs, with the exception of something like Sign of the Times, generally are very touchy-feely, flower power, not really a lot of, I don't know, I, I find him hard to take him very seriously. But this song, oh my gosh, this song works. It's just so simple in its message. It's just what so about simple. Dear Mr. Man? Pretty good, yeah. But yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm, yep, uh, pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking more of songs of like resolution. <laughs> Everyone knows my uh, thoughts on that. You know, this is one of the better examples. Dear Mr. Man's pretty good. Based on your um, you you reminding me of that player, but yeah, this is from start to finish. It kind of flows really nicely. It almost I, w- I won't go as far as saying it swings because it's it's not a swinging number, but it it's funky. It's funky and it 
it wears its its heart on its sleeve without sounding lame, which is pretty difficult to do about a song. It's basically saying, let's love each other, you know, stop the war, war no more, to quote another Prince song. It's hard to find a bad thing to say about this, really. So, uh, yeah, really, so really you nice. you say, like, as much as I would like to say, oh, the Prince track's the best track on the album, I don't think it is. I think Hollywood is, at, like, a better pop song than this is. Really? But I think I can't I'm even remember one. how Hollywood goes. Oh, because you've probably listened to the album once in your life, and I've listened to it about <laughs> six hundred. That's probably something to do with maybe. it. Maybe, maybe that does have something to do with it. So yeah, that those are my thoughts, and uh, that rounds out our thoughts on that track. Let's go straight into the ballad, or one of them. The obligatory. <laughs> if I love you tonight, by Maite. Her, f- mm, I'm just thinking chronologically, is this her first single? I think it is. No. Uh-oh. Mr. Mister's Broken Wings was her yes, first Broken Wings. track. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it. I can't believe I forgot about that. That had no Prince involvement, so we don't count that. Exactly. There you go. So let's keep it moving. I hear player chuckling in the background. Come on, tell us what you think about this. If I love you tonight, go. Oh, I get it. This is a really great Prince track that I read. I think it was in Uptown Magazine at the time. That I think they interviewed Maite and she said, this is going off memory. She said she had access to the vault. So like Prince basically said, go in there, pick your songs. We'll make an album kind of thing. And she picked this one out and I have heard the Prince version. And this is just kind of like, um, they don't radically change the song at all from the Prince version, but it's it's just kind of more... A bit more syrupy and slick, and in its production, more contemporary R and B. No, it has a, it's got a good bridge section, and I mean, but there's nothing really memorable about it. But it's still a, a strong song, and it's a cool song. But you know, there's not a lot going on in it. But it, it's an enjoyable song. I, I always listen to. It. I don't skip it at all. I always listen to it. So yeah, it's, a, it's a cool track. Are you ever tempted to skip it right at the beginning at all? Do you ever get the, the or you just like, yep. I'm digging this. Um, maybe at the beginning. Yeah, I, I <laughs> be honest. My now. thumb, my thumb hovers over that double arrow. <laughs> but once she starts singing, I, I can get into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm Captain. I'm handing this one over to you. Do your magic. This is this is old. I mean, this is July 1979. Old. This is one of the first Prince tracks. Really, it's crazy that it ended up. Like it ended up yeah. on um, that Misha Paris's album, I think first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there was a Prince version, which I think accidentally got pressed onto one of her twelve-inch releases or something weird. And then finally, then Maite gets it out on this one. So it's the it's song. You have to be clear about that. Of the, song. <laughs> the song, yeah, <laughs> Maite gets it out. Uh, <laughs> but like Player said, it's a good song. It's an enjoyable listen but there's not much to it, which makes me think that's the perfect formula for like a radio hit. It's just a mm. rubbish throwaway song that you don't mind listening to. It's just on and then it's gone. <laughs> radio that's, hit. That's, that's what works. Bang, with a bullet. Yeah, and then three weeks later, everyone's forgotten about it because the next one's on. That's how yeah. it works. Until we review but it on this show. This was released as a single. Like it came out on this album, then it came out as a single by Maite for her album, and... Yeah, again, not much happened with it. 
So, and it is a decent song. It's not a bad song at all, mm. but there's just something about it that's not great. It's good, not great. That's, I think, what it is. And it's had like several tries. It's like it's it's tried a few times now to get out in the world and just nothing much happens with it every time, which is sad because it's an okay song. It's tried. I get this image of like a song is like a little cartoon. It's like trying to make it in the world. It's trying to jump out of the box. It just can't reach. The- I'm going to make it. Oh, I'm going to make it. <laughs> and then it just doesn't happen. There's another song like that. I think... Um- if I can get your attention, the little song that could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I can get your attention, there's another one. one that he keeps he kept coming back to. Even yep. right at the end, he tried to do a final version of it, and just it never quite. And it's not, a, and and that's a great example. That's not a bad song either. It came out on that Taja Savelle's album. Not much happened, yeah, and then weird. and then it came out. Prince released a version like 2015. He put a version yeah, out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was actually the last official Prince release. What? Yeah. What about Free Yourself? No, it was after Free Yourself. Really? Pretty sure. That'll be in our non-album tracks, volume 20. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that later. But yeah, it's a good track, not a great track. And I like this version. I can, I, it just comes on, I listen to it, uh, you hum it as it goes, but then you're on to the next one and that's it. It's not, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's just not memorable. It doesn't have a catchy enough hook. I think that's what it is. It's catchy enough to last for the length of the song, but no longer. I think that's what it is. So that's that's all I can say. Well, I'm with you, Captain, almost through, you know, I was with you throughout almost your entire review, other than the last thing you said, which was, uh, yes, it, it is catchy, but it's way more catchy than the first two tracks, which you were a fan of. So like if you oh, are saying this is- Hollywood, Hollywood, it, come no, on. I can't even remember that song. Whereas I can whistle if I love you tonight. Not that I ever would, but I could if you forced me to. And for me, this is, I'm not even going to use the words good or great in this review, but what I will say is this is not a bad song. It's just not a bad song. I completely forgot how old it was until you reminded all, well, at least me, you reminded me. But to me, this sounds like an early 90s solid album track from Madonna, either on her Erotica album or Bedroom Stories, possibly even more so Bedroom Stories. Production values are great, a little bit glossy, but but pretty high production values. It's not half bad, as I said. I, I completely agree with you there. It's just, it's standard mid-90s R&B pop fare, and it's got some nice bass underneath that glossy production. And Maite pulls off a pretty decent vocal. I have to give her some credit here. She actually sounds pretty good, but it is in that AOR middle of the road type tempo production and execution so yeah i probably don't skip it all the time it just depends on what mood i'm in but uh certainly not a banger (laughs) i can't believe i just used that word on this show (laughs) tojem what are your thoughts about this track well i think we're all in general agreement that it's it's a decent song it's a good little ballad um the production is obviously a bit more slick than the other versions that were released or unreleased um, did anyone mention that this was one of the Rebels songs from the 80, from yeah. 1980 or something with Gail Chapman? 79, yeah. Mm. I think there's a Prince version from 79. I think there's a Rebels version from 80 or so, something like that. Then there's the Mika Paris mm. version. And then there's this one. There's a lot of different versions. Mm. Um, what else have I got that you guys haven't already said? Uh, the bass is very deep. Um, the snare drums kind of has that Vogue snare sound I wrote down. So there's definitely a little bit of Madonna in there that I can hear as well. 
Maite's vocal, I mean, she sings in tune. She's She's got a nice little bird kind of voice. I mean, she's not doing... She's <laughs> nice not doing, little bird. Bird? <laughs> yeah, it's like a little tweety little bird. You know, she's okay. in tune. It's nice. It's not terrible. Is this a Ricky Peterson production? Yes. Is Paul Peterson playing bass? <laughs> just wanna, I just want to clarify, it's Kathleen Bradford doing the backing vocals. Oh. Um, so, yeah, Ricky Peterson is supposedly all other instruments except where noted um, yeah. beyond Maite. And Billy Franz is on this one as well, apparently, on guitar. So, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's highly produced. Maite's vocal kind of carries it, I guess, but not spectacularly. And it's not a bad song, but it is kind of skippable. <laughs> We're going to track number five, Colour by the Steels. Take it away, Toe Jam. Back to you, like a boomerang. Uh, uh, I like the groove of this song. I think it's it's a funky little number. Um, the lyrics are kind of generic, but it's got that cold sort of mid-90s Minneapolis sound with those airy synths again. The sound Prince gets from the snare is really cool. And I just, I really love the chorus, the way it's this kind of building chorus. Like the song's in a minor key, but then the chorus comes straight in on the relative major with those, whoa, 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 what's your color? Back down to the minor. And then you've got that funky little hook bit. I mean, that that little bit, the chorus bit is just so Prince. Like it's just, it's so obviously Prince penned that chorus. I, I like the steels. I like their, the sound of their... I like them hearing them sing in harmonies. They 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 sound good together as a group. The individual singers themselves, uh, I'm not a massive fan of some of their voices, but as a group, they always just nail it. They got that real cool gospel sound, and I think that, you know, they're always a, a great addition to, to these 90s songs. So, I mean, this one we can assume was possibly meant to be for an album for them i'm not sure if that ever got finished or completed but i mean this song made it out and it's a good one and it's uh, a funky little number like i said all right all right all right captain what are your thoughts on her, 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 her. i don't like that bit <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sorry but there has to be a most skippable track and this is it hmm. it has to be somebody it's just like Turjam said as a group they're good Individually, I don't like them as much. I just don't think they're like they're great on Still Would Stand All Time. They're great as like a backing chorus on a song. I just I haven't heard a song where they like pulled it off. They could do their own song. And this just doesn't do it for me. There's um there's just nothing there. It's just it's just like Tojem said it was cold. Well, that could be Kirk's production, but it is just a bland song with this seems like there's no total opposite of still withstand all time. It seems like there is like zero passion or feeling in this song. It's just like, it's just a song. It's just a song. There you go. That's all. <laughs> that's all I can say. I didn't even mean to say that, but it just ended up there. So there you go. And for those people who just heard that comment by captain, i.e. it's just a song. And if you don't recognize that reference, that means you're not you a hardcore to... Peach and Black listener. You haven't heard the early episodes. Go back. The early years. If you, can, if you can find them. If you can't, email us or tweet us or Instagram us or dial our numbers and let us know. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> a classic Peach and Black reference that uh, only the real Peach and Black listeners it's understand. It's just a song. It's most <laughs> skippable and it's just a song. Two in one. It's a twofer. <laughs> there you go. 
Oh God, it's a, it's embarrassing and it's a shame when you have to try and explain your own references on your podcast, <laughs> isn't it? It's pretty bad. I just realized how every, lame that was. Every time we say it, we should be like, that's my catchphrase, you know? There you go. <laughs> Wait, here it comes. Here comes the if catchphrase. A, it's just a song. <laughs> if you're a regular listener. <laughs> well, okay. are, you, are you still going on this one? Are you I'm milking done. it? I'm done. There's, okay. nothing, there's nothing to say because there's nothing to say. Okay. That's very profound. Well, I'll follow that up by saying this is a pedestrian album track and is a pretty pedestrian performance. Look, the steels are great. I'm not as critical as Toe Jam because I think they sound fine on their own, but they sound great together. Uh, I don't think they sound, you know, pedestrian as isolated singers. But the thing that I will say is, aside from the good production values, there's really nothing here. And yeah, the skip button is coming out. And for those listeners who weren't born in the last 15 or 20 years, there used to be these things called CD players or Discmans and Walkmans, and you could <laughs> press skip. There was a button. You could press skip. You can press skip on Spotify. No, no, but there was the skip button. There was that There was that click, even if it was late at night, and like you were just like... <laughs> and the CD would make this noise like... <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> anyway and by the way listeners mc's reading his notes from from his typewriter right. <laughs> you know i own a typewriter but that's for all the love love letters i write and and poems and when i reply to um fan mail i get one fan <laughs> one fan mail a year anyway passing it to player to round out this review of the song color yeah i think it's four out of four with this one i mean it's not a bad song but it's on the premise of an idea, you know, like this color me blue and color me happy. And interestingly, there's no color me bad, no sexual. <laughs> it's like, so it's like he has this cool idea and premise for a song, but it just falls a bit short. The Steels themselves, I mean, they're a gospel group. And if you put them with this kind of pedestrian R&B song, it, it's a bit of a disservice to them. Like Mismatch. Yeah, you put them with the organic MPG sound or whatever, or just like a, a regular band. And it, they really sort of come alive and sing. And when it's paired up with some beats and stuff, it's just like, you know, like at the time it's really cool and all that. But just over time, it just like... It just it feels a bit stale and stuff. So they're very talented. I really love what they do, but it's just it's just kind of a mismatch for me. Like these guys are too good to be just lumped with like a, a regular R and B track for gospel singers. They they really need that really sort of backing behind them to and really shine. So yeah, it's it's not a bad song. I listen to it. I think it's okay, but like it's not their strong point. Like I tried to listen to the the lyrics like what they were singing but were they just like mic'd badly but i could barely hear in the verses what they were even saying mm. yeah there is points where you're just kind of thinking like wh what are they trying to say and you catch some things and yeah. i heard like color me green or something but uh, it was hard to listen to the lyrics like i don't even know why i tried but then i tried and it was like well why is this so hard it shouldn't be hard to just hear what they're saying. Mm, yeah. Are the lyrics like in any way related to like the song race? Is it any sort of thing like that? I think there's a similarity. It's just like, like you were saying with the color me green, like it's like a thing re referencing jealousy, you know, it's just like this idea of, you know, saying something in a different way, like creatively. 
And so it's like, well, let's explore all these colors, like color me happy, color me green, color me this and that, color me angry. (laughs) Color me bad, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, but it's just like, oh, I've got this cool idea and I start with it and then it just kind of fizzles out. And I suppose if you're the Steels and Prince is like, I've got a song for you, I'm going to put it on this album, would you really say no? Probably, unless they really hated the song. It's still exposure for them. Unless it was Darling Nikki, I don't think they'll say no to any of <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, let's keep this thin moving. Track number six. Now, it's called Together. It was previously released on Goldnigger, and we've actually spoken about this song. At length, I would like to imagine. Which is also previously released. Yes. There you go. Yes. It was a single. It was on the album. It was on this album. It's been released three times. Yeah. He must really love it. Anyone got anything to add to this or just a quick, I guess I'll hand it it's over to everyone for a review. It's a cut and paste of our Goldlinger review into here. The only thing I can add is that this is an edited version and it edits out the reference to 1993. Ooh. Because obviously this was released in 94. There you oh, have I it. I didn't notice that. Look at this guy. Yeah. Oh. Come on. I just got that. Hey, hey, don't, re- don't reveal our sources. I'll just say I think it fits well on this compilation. I think so. It slots in very nicely in there. It's that mid-tempo 90s yeah. sound. So, yeah, it fits. It does fit. Hey, it's the MPG. You can't so, go wrong with the MPG jamming around. And let's face it. like This album probably sold double what Goldinger would have, I reckon. Yeah. Hmm. The one interesting thing that I just thought today was Tony. Tony M is the lead on this track, and this is mm. mid-94. This is, you know, well after Tony and Prince have parted ways, whichever way that happened. So I thought it was interesting that he included this track, mm. knowing what we know about various things. Mm. Like MC said before, we've already reviewed this track because we reviewed the entire album that this track was on. So... Mm. Go to Podbean, go search on the Googles for the review of the new Power Generation album, and you can hear us review every song on the album, not just this one. (laughs) Exactly. Whatever podcast app you're listening to, podcast player, whatever you want to call it, do that. But, um, I mean, before we move on to the next track, track number seven, any any other – because I've got a couple of quick ones, but does anyone else have anything else they want to add to their previous review of this song? I'm really disappointed that I don't get to hear the 1993 reference anymore. That was my favourite part of the track. I will be listening to the album version. Thank you. <laughs> you can blame Toe Jam for that. I just wanted to add that, you know, in my initial review, I remember saying I enjoyed the musical groove and that it was nice and chilled and the message is uplifting and all this sort of stuff. But what I wanted to add in the context of this album is that, you know, there's love sign which is positive vibes and social social messages there's color and i think this is placed very cleverly in the first uh, half of the album it becomes uh, very much a positive vibe you know the, the record is positive because it's got positive sounding songs but the other comment i wanted to make was towards the end of this song and this is something i don't believe i said in our golden Gate album review is there's like a 20 30 second bit where someone is playing some really nice sounding acoustic guitar. And it is probably some of the sweetest sounding, best recorded acoustic guitar I've ever heard on a Prince-related track. 
So uh, I just wanted to put that out there because it's really, really nice. It's almost Andy McKee-esque. Yeah, I agree with that. With that, track number seven, Standing at the Altar. Her name is Margie Cox, unless it's Margie. Margaret to you, thank you. I'd say Margie Cox. I'd say Margie. I'm throwing this on to player. What are your thoughts? <laughs> okay, this is a weird one. It's You've got this kind of happy music with this sad song and sad subject. And so there's, you've Classic got that Prince. contrast there. Yeah, you've got that contrast there. And I don't know, like I played this song every time I played this album. And then I got to a point where I was kind of a little bit sick of it. And then I think it got picked up on Australian radio and they started to play it on that and it sort of picked up on there. And so it got played a lot on radio. And then I got really tired of the song then because it it was just like, oh, no, I can't listen to this anymore. So I haven't really listened to this in over 20 years. And... I've been listening. I've, I've listened to it again for this, you know, review, and it's like, yeah, this is this is pretty dope song. Like, this is like, it's a catchy song. It's a pop song. It's kind of like that perfect three minutes, three and a half minute song. And yeah, it, it, it's really good. I just think at the time, I just kind of wore it out, and it wore me out. But yeah, it's a cool track. I, I thought this at the time, and still think this today. It sounds very Mavis Staples. Like if you listen to it, it's it's very similar, same sort of raspy voice, and it's it's she's got like a really strong vocal. Like she like I pictured her as you know like a like a black soul singer. So like she's she does have a really good voice, and um, she's kind of like she reminds me of um like Anastasia. You remember a few years later when she came out with this? Oh, yeah. Uh, she yeah. looks like this pretty white girl, but she's got that big soulful voice. That's a good that's a good comparison actually. So it's a shame that like her sort of it's a little bit one hit wonderish like she never really took off i mean i think she does regular gigs at dr mumbo's combo uh, at bunkers and stuff and like she's like a minneapolis kind of regular and and all that but it never really took off it's just a really good song so um yeah that, that's all i've i've really got on it all right toe jam what are your thoughts on this one yeah, I think this is the second best song on the album. I think um, everything player said. I mean, it's a great pop song, great descending kind of chord line. And a couple of things I noticed, there's a video of this, which I only just saw today for the first time ever. And it's, uh, you know, like all these classic 90s videos, it sort of tells the story in the video. And in the scene where she's reminiscing about, you know, the guy who's just left her, it shows them like having a memory together. And he gives her what looks to be like a, a for you long box thing like it's that four with the you you know i don't know what it was but prince was using it at that time and um she opens it up and it's got like a symbol and a prince cd in there or something which is kind of cool it's like a little secret <laughs> reference to the, you know prince is producing this song uh you got the steels in the background doing a good job the best part in the song is one minute 45 to two minutes that build up that is just the total sugar the way that builds up and it just smacks uh it's really good 211 you've got a a little bit of a classic Larry Graham octave part doing going around the chords. You know, he does that octave thing. Boom, 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 boom. Really cool. Even though the lyrics are kind of down, like it's it's a really sort of uplifting song, I kind of think. Like, um, I don't know why, but it just, it just sounds that way. It's um, it's a good song to sing along to. It's just a really top-notch pop song, I think. And I'm, I'm really happy I listened to it this week. So that's my review. All right, two fans so far out of four. Let's see if we can make it three. Captain, what are your thoughts on standing at the altar? Okay, this 
song is the best track on this album by far. Hmm. As a catchy pop single, it just kills everything else here by a mile. I can't believe this song didn't do better when it was released. It's just this beautiful song. And there's so many good things. I love the sitar sound used on that main lead line. The drums are interesting. They've got this sort of sleigh bells thing going on underneath them, which he used a fair bit around this time. Classic descending bass line. 218, you've got the great, beautiful organ solo by Mr. Hayes. And some great little guitar lines. I think it's Levi, 239. You've got Eric Leeds credited on saxophone, but I've listened to this song a billion times and I don't hear a saxophone anywhere. Is it just me? I don't think there is. A, I think someone just turned that down for some Possibly. reason. Possibly. Maybe it's somewhere deep in the mix, but I can't hear it. I know Prince isn't listed on the credits, but I'm sure I can hear him on this track. There, is, yeah, there are other people listed as well, but near the end, you can... Yeah, it is. It is, for sure. He's just got that little nasally thing. You can just yep. hear it. And I'm like, oh, it's got to be him. But um, I put this up with some of Prince's best written pop tracks. It's that good. And like Player said, you've got the sort of happy song with the sad. That's just a classic thing to do. And it's he's, he's done it on other songs, and we've talked about it in other reviews. But like the harmonies on the chorus, they're just great. I haven't even got to Margie's, Margie, Margie, I don't know, to her vocals yet. She can sing. Yeah, she can. All yeah. through the track, she's great. But there's a few great parts. There's a line at 317 where she goes up to a high note. That's great. And then she does that vocal bend at 334. It is. It couldn't be any more perfect. Just this is what Prince does. He just perfectly crafts a song. And this is one of them. And it's just like someone said before. It's, so, it's just sad that she didn't make it bigger because yeah. this song was great. Like, it did get played on radio in Australia a bit. I remember it. Yeah. But then, again, like everything, it's on for a while, and then it's it's just gone, and that's it. And, you know, she never came back after that, not to the radio that was on at the time. So that's just sad. That's, that's all i got to say. This is one of the best songs. It's the best song on this album, and it's up there, I think, with Prince's perfectly crafted pop songs. And he doesn't even sing it. He gave it away. Mental. Mm. That's, that's it? That's all. Yeah, well, I'm just going to be, you know, more of the same from me on this one. This is a super solid pop track with an R&B feel. It just shows you the breadth of his talent, really. To be able to come up with something like this, it is so radio-friendly, but it's so listenable. Obviously, everything is dated, right? But this isn't dated to me. It's It just sounds good. It sounds live. It sounds like a band is playing. There are some, you know, subtle elements that date it to the early 90s. But what I'm getting at is it's just darn good music. And, yeah, it's a little sugary, but it's just really well done. It's polished. It's polished pop. Prince's polished pop. In Excess had a song on their last album, I believe, called Searching. And it has a very very different song, very different uh, melody, lead line, hook, all the rest of it. But the song Searching by In Excess has a very similar vibe and feel and production value. And I don't know why. I always think of it when I hear this. Of course, this came out uh, a few years before the, the In Excess track. Prince can't put a... When he's in this in this zone, he cannot put a finger wrong in the studio. And, you know, he's arranging. It's just so good. This song has this momentum from the minute it really gets into its own skin. It really just vibes and it right until the last note. It's really, really nicely executed. 
So yeah, definitely one of the highlights on this track. And Margie does a fantastic job on the vocals. And it's a shame that, you know, maybe through my ignorance, there's been a, a lot more that she's put out. But this probably stands as one of her, you know, most well-known tracks, right? Oh, last thing. And this is Prince related again. Although the vocals by Margie are good, Margie, Margie, Prince's background vocals are even better. They're just freaking amazing. And again, this re- this also reminds me of the Martika song, They Will Be Done, well, the Prince song sung by Martika, They Will Be Done, where Martika's vocals are great, but it's those Prince harmonies in the background that make it. And again, this is another example of his expertise as a pop craftsman and in-studio arranger, but also background vocalist. So, yep, one of the top three tracks on this album, easily. I just wanted to add also, Margie Cox, um, the single that was released also had a B-side called Whistlin' Kenny, which is a bit of a rare song. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I've got that. Well, there you go. I've heard it. I've got it, but I have no recollection of how it goes. It's got to be about Kenny Rogers, right? (laughs) From standing at the altar to whistling Kelly. We've got it all here, folks. (laughs) That was was the honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be about Kenny Rogers. Come on. All right. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Track number eight. Speaking of moving, you will be moved if you listen to this track. Mavis will ensure that you do. It's Mavis Staples. Mavis. Right in front of that mic, and she goes deep on this track. Let's talk about it. Take it away, Captain. Paul Peterson on bass. There you go. <laughs> there you Ricky go. Peterson on keyboards. Woo. Levi on guitar. The Steels on backing vocals. But sadly, fake horns. No horn heads. Crappy little synth. Oh, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> this is another great track. I love Mavis's album, The Voice. Yeah, great album. There's so many good songs. Like, this is a very good song. It's not as good as House in Order, but it's very good. It's perfect for Mavis and her voice and her style. It's different to some of her other stuff, but it still fits her really well, I think. And around this time when Prince had George Clinton and Mavis Staples, these big legends hanging around Paisley Park, they were getting, you know, a sort of half- Prince produced album. Some songs he did for them fitted them very well. Some not so much, but this one I think is is great. It's great for Mavis. So yeah, it's a good one. All right, all right, all right. Toe Jam, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is a fun song. Uh, released in '93 on the Voice album. It's gospel blues, and uh, it's got the NPG playing along. So that's always going to be good. Yep. I mean, it sounds to me like it would fit seamlessly. Uh, on the Vault album, Old Friends for yes. Sale, um, like yes. sonically. That's, you take Mavis's yes. vocals out, you put Prince in, it would fit seamlessly on there. The lyrics are obviously Christian and biblical, but not overtly enough that it's kind of annoying. Um, you know, when the rain comes and, you know, the purple rain, and uh, <laughs> it's all about, you know, when Jesus returns, I think. I think that's what it's about. It's a fun song. Like, uh, I don't have much more to say about it. It's it's fun. It's popping. It's funky. And it's gospel blues. And it's Mavis Staples, so you can't go wrong. Hmm. All right. Very good. Player, are you digging this? Yeah, I dig this. I dig anything from Mavis. She's she's great. Musically, this is classic MPG smoothness. I've got exactly in my notes the same as Toe Jam. It sounds something off the, like the vault of Friends for Sale. Sounds very similar to When the Lights Go Down or even Willing and Able, like instrumentally. 
this this yeah. kind kind of same musical vibe. I can hear when the lights go down that same sound. Yeah. Yeah. And it's recorded really well. It drips like butter. It's especially the bass and the keys. Like they're they're really really good. Yeah. I mean, you can't really fault anything for Mavis or classic MPG sound. So you know, this this particular track's a winner. There was very little recorded in 92, 93, 94. That sounds bad. Mm-hmm. Like 92, 93, just about everything is like crystal clear. Yeah. And just so well recorded because he had this great NPG live band and he recorded them with a live sound and they just sound great. Mm. It was after that, like when he goes 95 and then onto Emancipation, it all got more digital and yeah. not so great. But yeah. Plastic, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah everything actually, from this time sounds good. I would actually add to that, Captain. I'd probably extend it a little bit uh, earlier. I'd go 91 to kind of mid-94, maybe even late-94, that period. You could, you could even count Graffiti Bridge because yeah. the sound quality on that is amazing. Pretty good, yeah. Love Sexy didn't sound that great. It's a bit muddy, but from Graffiti Bridge to, yeah, like even Gold Experience was recorded well. It just got overproduced. Mm. So, yeah, that whole like four or five years there was... Everything's great. The sound is, oh, crazy. You know what's really interesting? It's not only Prince, and I don't want to turn this into a geek podcast, but I'll just make a very quick comment that generally speaking, the vast majority of CDs that were produced between, let's say, 1990 and 1994 were really well mastered, and they they sounded the best, in my opinion, that they ever have. They hadn't started brickwalling stuff yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was because they were recording for that format, whereas previous to that, they were recording for record and vinyl and the transfer mm. wasn't you know they were well, trying to yeah they were trying to get everything out previously on a cd format and that process was all kind of rushed and not really taken care of but if you were actually recording a new album you're recording it for the cd format so yeah they, it, it was mm. a better sonic yeah experience which is great for a if you're a prince fan that likes anything from dare i say nine you know 89 even onwards up to about 94, you're, you're in heaven. And, you know, if any material comes out from that period in the coming years from his uh, copious vault archive, it'll undoubtedly sound great be good. unless they ruin it, unless they ruin it. But let's hope they don't. Uh, <laughs> the original masters should sound pretty good, right? So let's hope. Okay, I'm going to take it one step further here, and I'm going to call this potentially the best thing on here. Uh, and on any given day, for me, it is. It, 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 I'll just go ahead and say tonight this is the best thing on here. So done, so soulful. It's got a bit of funk and a bit of grit to it as well. And so much of that has to do with Mavis. I mean, you guys have all said it already. It's a great band performance, though. How could it not be with the MPG? But this is particularly solid studio playing. They're more than a session band. A session band would sound good. The MPG sound great. They sound pretty tight on this. Uh, you know, and there's there there is some thematic content that is really, really good. Again, Mavis is wearing her heart on her sleeve here, regardless of who wrote the lyrics, because it's about social injustice and progress. And, you know, you will wake up to a day where reality is going to hit you straight in the face. It's going to slap you in the face. Literally, you will be moved by all the things that are happening around you. This is a, a really good socio political song and a, a good example of that genre. But really, the outside of Mavis and the background vocals and in the band, it's the quality of the writing and the arrangements here. It's really exceptional. Again, Prince and the people that were associated with him at that time, but you know, let's let's put a spotlight on Prince here. Just incredibly sophisticated in his pop arranging. And, you know, you, then you add on top 
I'm sure you have to add on top of that a, a layer of of Mavis. You know, I can't see Mavis not getting involved in adjusting the arrangements, you know, the vocal lead line, some of the harmonizing. I'm sure without a doubt that she would have would have had plenty to say and plenty to offer. So it's kind of like you can't miss. You put Mavis together with Prince and it's it's almost always a good thing. And this is great. Smooth harmonies, as, as I said, man, this is this is a killer track. Killer, killer track. I remember when this was re-released and uh, remember the MPG Music Club? This came out on that or was it 3121? It was one of the two websites. It was released post the New Orleans, what was it, Hurricane? Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, SST. Hurricane yeah, that's right. So it's 2005-ish. And um, a great song to re- release at that time, you know. So clearly Prince thought it meant a lot, which is why he put it out at that time. And, um, you know, it stood the test of time. So great track. And she does get paid for counselling. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such a funny line. Speaking of the MPG, though, and a band performance, let's go into track number nine. It's entitled 17. And I'm handing the baton, or the mic, I should say, over to Toe Jam. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed by this track. I think it's a pale imitation of what Madhouse was, I think. And it's got Eric Leeds, and he's playing some funky little lines, and he's got it's like a little simple motif thing. So that kind of, that's part of Madhouse. But the rest of it is just missing that sort of like skippiness. To me, I think it's missing Prince on the drums. It's missing Sheila E. I don't know. It's it just sounds like an instrumental thing that doesn't do anything for me. This song, hmm. and um, I mean, I can I can totally see why the Madhouse twenty four album got shelved three times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not bad. Like Prince is trying to reinvent Madhouse for for the nineties, but it's lacking something. It's missing something, and I I really feel like as good as the NPG were, Madhouse wasn't their sound, and and I think this kind of shows that. So that's my review. Ooh. Wowzers. Well, there's one in every episode, isn't there, ladies and gentlemen? Player, what's your follow-up to Toe Jam's thoughts? Um, It's very hard to review instrumental tracks. There's two separate musical pieces going at the same time. I don't know what that kind of musical thing's called, but it's it's an interesting listen. Um, You got that riff lead line. Yeah. Um, You get that riff lead line, and then after that, it's straight noodling like soloing and stuff and you know back I think to that's the, the thing that's that's exactly the word it, it just noodles yeah. whereas the madhouse songs seemed more had more energy to them there was more there was more ranging there was more crazy stuff going on this is just the band jamming out just noodling yeah so that's that's all i've got on it <laughs> wow gee i'm actually quite surprised by this um now i'm not going to say anything superlative about it but what i will say is let's hear the whole madhouse 24 album you know let's have it released let's have it come out i think the name is a misnomer all of them the name is a misnomer if this was just if this was not called madhouse 24 and it was instead called mpg jamming in the basement i think that'd be a little better the thing that i really do enjoy about this is the rubbery flubbery flubby bass in your face it's just <laughs> It's this, this the weirdest, I'm assuming I'm listening to a bass. It could be something else, but, and it's probably Sonny T, but he's, I don't know what, what the filter is or what the effect that he's got on there. It, it's one of, one of the weirdest sounding 
um, noises or sounds I've heard in a, in a while, actually. And it's really, really cool. The sax is cool and funky, but it always is when Eric's on the sax. But I could listen to this band all day. And as much as I do agree with Toe and Player in the sense that it's not anything mind-blowing or earth-shattering, at the same time, within the context of an entire album like this, I think it could work similar to, let's say, some of the music on news. In other words, if this was extended into a one-hour CD or one-hour digital release with all of the other stuff they were jamming on around this era, it'd be a different sort of vibe. But maybe on this album, it's kind of like, yeah, it goes nowhere and it's, it's a little bit uninspiring. But with that, let's throw it to Captain. What are your thoughts? It's crazy just to think that he recorded this whole Madhouse album and The Undertaker video, which we've seen and talked about, and this is all in just a few weeks between the Act 1 and the Act 2 tour, in the middle of all the rehearsals for Act 2, because it was a very different show to Act 1, but he still had time to record all this stuff. It just blows my mind when you think about how much he did. It's just crazy stuff. But uh, this was the B-side of Standing at the Altar, along with Whistlin' Kenny, apparently. <laughs> but I love this band. It's Prince, Michael B, Sonny T, Levi, and Eric Leeds. I mean, yeah, the song isn't that great, but it's them, so it's fine. <laughs> that, <laughs> that just covers everything. It's okay. It doesn't matter what they play. But this track was probably not the best representation of that album to put out as a single to go, you know, oh, this is what it's like. Because, you know, there's better tracks. But again, he, re he tried to do Madhouse 24 three times. He did it, I think, around Batman era. I think it was around 89, 90. He, did the, he tried then. Again here, 93. Then 95, he revised it again. He cut some tracks. He added more tracks. And it still didn't come out. So obviously, it wasn't doing it for him because it never got released. But again, there's something the estate can do and start putting things online and take our money. Ding dong. Ka-ching. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, okay. And with that, we reach <clears throat> pretty much the last complete song on this record, on this album. It is Woman's Gotta Have It. And it is a Bobby Womack cover by Nona Gay. Uh, Nona Gay and her second contribution to this record. What are your thoughts? Player. Yes, it is the old Bobby Womack song from 1972, which was a very organic sounding song contrasted to this, which I think is, even though it's tightened up to a, a more concise pop song, it's, it's still very syrupy. It's kind of got that smooth jazz R&B 90s radio vibe about it and I don't know I mean I like the song by Shanice I love your smile and it's got that sax solo and stuff and it kind of reminds oh, yeah. me of that song and this song just in its kind of production and stuff and it's just yeah it, it's not bad it's just it's just very different and it's kind of not distancing itself from the original but it's it's very different sounding and it's it's, it's kind of like, I kind of imagine Prince and Nona Gay had a conversation of like, kind of like, what song did you like listening to growing up? And she might have picked this song and he said, well, let's let's cover it. And, you know, they've done a very kind of syrupy version of it. That's the impression I get. But yeah, it, it's cool. There's just, just not a lot to it. 
Yeah, this is kind of like I, I'm assuming inside the one eight hundred New Funk booklet, there's a there's a there's an album cover. So I guess there was a Nona Gay album. So and I assume that this is one of the tracks off it. It just didn't eventuate. So yeah, it's it's a cool song, but it's it's just not very kind of memorable or anything. Yeah, I'm kind of like with uh, first of all, I'm completely with you on this, and I'll use a an analogy by Anthony Bourdain that he made about food when he spoke about if you're going to mess with a classic, you're either going to have to improve it or innovate it to the point where it's something new and I'm loving it at least as much or more than the original. This does neither of those things and from a musical point of view. And um, it doesn't do much for me when anyone, I don't care who you are, even if you're Prince, you take a cover and you just kind of don't do anything exciting enough to pique my interest and didn't happen here so uh it's fine there's nothing wrong with it if this was an original track by them i'd say probably have more nice things to say about it but yeah i'm with you it's a bit of a uh, nothing finish to this record unfortunately gee <laughs> this episode's going well isn't it hey uh let's uh hand it over to toe jam toe jam what are your thoughts uh i really don't have much more to say i mean it, it kind of fits the album in terms of the production of it it's that 90s mid-tempo i don't want to say sleigh bells but it's got that sort of mid-90s thick beat low bass sound to it prince and nona gabe were obviously working on an album together there's a few other bootlegs out there with them from this era this one and um, love sign made it out i i agree it is kind of forgettable like um i don't have any more to say about it i i, I think i agree with um mc and uh player all right all right all right captain what do you think about this i really don't have much to add to this next to color this is probably my second most skippable track there's nothing there it's this song reminds me of the entire bria valente album i heard it once and that's enough (laughs) i don't need to ever hear it again it's fine yeah there's really nothing else to say it's just again if you're gonna do a cover do something either cover it exactly exactly the same and go look how great i am at doing it exactly the same or do it so differently that you did something and people are like oh wow but this is just sort of just nothing in the middle i don't know nothing else to say about it with that track 11 (laughs) if it can even be called the track less than a minute of some sounds captain go (laughs) (laughs) some sounds 48 seconds. Isn't it just the same as the, the first song, but it's just the end part? It sounds like, yeah. It's basically the last 48 seconds of track one, from what I can tell. I hate when they do things like that. It's like, what's the point of it? Yeah. Like, in their mind, did they think, this is such a great song that we'll revisit it again? Like, I don't understand what the point of a reprise is. Like, Is it just to go, oh, there's 11 tracks on the album, not 10? Maybe. <laughs> I like the song. But this extra little thing, it doesn't add anything. I don't know what it's doing. Mm. What was the point of it? No point. Because if you've got the CD on replay, it's just going to come back to track one anyway. So why did you need this? I don't don't know. Next. Yep. Toe Jam. I don't have anything to say about the reprise. (laughs) There isn't anything to say. Player. Player. Well, exactly what Captain said. I don't understand why it's there and why it's just the last 48 seconds of it as well. Like, it's just pointless. Hmm. It's not like it's an extended remix or something. It's just the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, at least give us a little tinkle keyboard solo or something. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is pointless. 
it's pointless and I'm glad that we all said the same thing and that we've covered this incredibly quickly. No, I disagree. It's the best track. <laughs> it's the best thing on the whole album. You're off the show. Okay, uh, and let's do final thoughts now on this album, 1-800-NEW-FUNK, from left to right, player. Okay, final thoughts. I think that this is a great collection of songs that aren't cohesive as a whole. So they are good songs individually, but, you know, as an album, it doesn't really flow that well or, again, cohesively. I think I mentioned this earlier. I think it's sold relatively well based on the cover and probably a couple of tracks like Standing at the Altar and perhaps Love Sign. And as I mentioned in the intro, it's an MPG record showcase and it seems like a get one up on Warners with Paisley Park. Like, okay, if you're going to boot me off your label and my label, then I'm going to start a new label and in your face kind of thing. That's the, that's the impression I get with this album. So it's a cool little collection of songs, cool little promo thing, cool to as a Prince fan to have in your collection. It won't rock your world though. Has its moments. Toe Jam. Well, I think I'm in in slight reverse disagreement with Player. Player said that the songs were good, but the album wasn't cohesive. I, I think it's the other way around. I think the album itself is kind of cohesive. There's there's a consistent sound and production to it. It's these mid-tempo mm. 90s R&B songs produced by Prince with princely sounding things going on it. The thing is, is that the songs themselves mostly are just you know, border, most of them are average songs, like average to decent songs. There's a couple of really good ones, Love Sign, Standing at the Altar, but the rest of them are pretty pedestrian, I think, in, for, for Prince's standards. So it's a cool album for Prince collectors, and it's it's cool to hear a collection of princely produced songs from the 90s where he's not the lead artist. So it's good in that sense. I really like the idea behind the album that, you know, he's now on his own and he's got to promote the stuff on his own. And so let's call the album the phone number of, you know, where you can get my funk from. That's a really cool idea. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a sort of a solid album. I mean, it's not something you grab out and really relish, but, you know, when you grab it out, put it in the CD player, uh, I I enjoy it. It's good. It's funky. It's 90s hip-hop R&B Prince funk. All right. Captain? Final thoughts from you. Final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of with Toe Jam. Like, I think it's not a great album. It's not a strong album. But as this collection of princey tracks, it works because they all do sort of sound the same. It's all 1993, 94 stuff. They've got that in common. But then you get songs like Color and, yeah, there's just there's some songs. They're pretty weak alone. But then again, yeah, you got great tracks. You got Standing at the Altar, which is amazing. I think it's it's got its weird little place in the discography. Like that's the weird thing with Prince's whole discography is you've got all the normal albums, but then you've got these like sort of bizarre little offshoots. Like you've got the Madhouse stuff, and then you've got News, Girl and you've six. got yeah. Girl Six, and you've got you got One Night Alone Piano. You've got The War. There's just all these bizarre little things which aren't standard albums, and this is another one of those. So in his normal discography, no, it's not a great album, but overall, you know, it's got its place in 1994 in the list, which is, yeah, it's a good thing. The end. All right. Well, my final thoughts are a bit of all of you, really. I kind of partially agree with player, partially agree with Tojum, and partially agree with Captain. Uh, so I won't repeat what all all of you guys have said. I'll go on. But what I will add to the mix is that 
for me, this is like, I don't even consider this a proper album. You know, yes, it's a compilation, but I don't know, maybe it's the album artwork. Maybe it's the fact that there's no real common thread outside of the sound of the songs themselves, meaning that, you know, the the way they were recorded, there's that's a common thread. But outside of that, that the way the record actually sounds from a studio perspective and playing perspective, it's kind of all over the place. It's a bit of a hodgepodge. It's kind of like Graffiti Bridge, but there's mm. no classic yeah. Prince tracks. And it's almost like a lesser cousin. Let me help you slightly. Help me. Think of it this way. Apart from, I think, Hollywood, every track here, Prince is on the track. He's playing something on the track. He was in oh. the studio. He produced the track. Mm. He was there. The only difference is he's not singing the songs. <laughs> there are many more differences. Trust me. There's like... Think of it that way. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. I will not think that way. So yeah, that, that my thoughts are it's a cool compilation to have as a Prince fan. I think if you're not a Prince fan, this becomes a skipper album. I hate to say it, but if you're not, it becomes a skipper album. You might hang around for Margie Cox and Standing at the Altar. You might hang around for Love Sign and potentially maybe one other track, maybe Hollywood if you're a George Clinton fanatic. But, you know, aside from those songs, this is just a by-the-numbers compilation. So those are my thoughts. If I was giving this a rating, I'd probably score it lower than Batman for anyone listening. So there you go. There you go. Let me just bring up one thing which I just remembered because you mentioned George Clinton. Seriously, am I the only one of the four of us who has seen George Clinton play live? Yes. I think so. Yeah. That is freaking insane. What are you doing? I don't know. (laughs) You all have to see him when he comes back here next year because it's his final tour. Do it. All right. Okay. You have to do it. We'll all go together. I'll meet you joint to joint. Make it happen. George. George, if you're listening. (laughs) Let me see you dance. Let me see you dance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you're out there oh classic all right that has been 1-800 new funk and we have been the peach and black podcast and we continue to be peach and black all over everywhere on the internet on the googles on the podcasting on the podbean the stitcher the youtube the Mixcloud, the tune in <laughs> the spotify the podcast apple podcast app on the podbean on peachandblack.podbean.com everywhere everywhere at all good wow listen to this guy we are everywhere we're out of control rate us review us you don't like us don't review us if you love us write it down if no, no, no. you no, what are you doing only it? five only five star reviews i don't <laughs> i don't want anything else if you can go yeah. to apple podcasts and rate and review our show we'd really appreciate it five stars thank you for listening as always it's been another pnb production and we're out 